It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Franchise Focus Podcast Series on the Fantasy Points Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joe Dolan, and our long journey is coming to a close. 32 teams in 32 days, occasionally skipping a day here and there, but essentially in one month, we have a podcast for each NFL team, starting with the AFC East and now wrapping up with the NFC West. I hope you enjoyed this journey as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did. Getting intel on camp battles, potential sleepers, injuries, who's going to be back uh, early in training camp, who might not be back until a little bit later in the summer, contract situations, all of that has been covered. Uh, I just want to thank all of my co-hosts for scheduling these. It was not a fun job scheduling the podcast. Once I started recording them, that's when I really started to enjoy it. Scheduling and Getting people all on the same page was not the most fun, but I, I, everybody who I had on this podcast was so excited to join me, and it was such a pleasant experience once I got these things scheduled that I, I really can't imagine not doing this next year, even though it was a massive stress item in my life. But I, I think the 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 fruits of of, of the labor have really borne out here uh, with all the information that we have uh, acquired throughout the Franchise Focus podcast series. We also, by the way, if you just listen to this and you're not subscribed to FantasyPoints.com, we also did an accompanying article for all 32 NFL teams in which we broke down, did a full breakdown of every player projected on those 32 teams, including John Hansen's final thoughts and how he's approaching all the teams. So I want to thank everybody for reading those articles. Tom Brawley, Ryan Heath, Jake Tribby contributing to those articles. The guys did a wonderful job. Tom Brawley also did a full betting preview for all 32 teams. Uh, the guy is just a machine, so I really hope you check that out. And finally, we launched the Fantasy Points Data Suite last week, and... To say the the reception's been great is, is is an understatement. I think the industry is enjoying it, and I think the industry is seeing the potential of the Fantasy Points data suite. Uh, if you haven't signed up for the data suite and given a look at everything that the tool can do, um, you can go and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Um, it, it will not charge your credit card for seven days, and you can decide if the data suite is something you want to add to your fantasy football research this year. It has been a big research month here with the Franchise Focus podcast series and the Fantasy Points Data Suite. I hope everybody uh, is along for the ride, and I hope everybody is ready for training camp in the preseason. That is what this series was leading into. And without further ado, here is our final division, the NFC West. Welcome to the 32nd and final edition of the Franchise Focus here in 2023. We have journeyed through every division. We, of course, wrapped up with the NFC West, and that means, well, the only team we have left to cover is the Seattle Seahawks. I have one of the best to talk Seahawks. His name is Michael Sean Dugar, and he covers the Seahawks for The Athletic, and, of course, he hosts the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar. Mike, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for being a repeat, uh, I guess, a repeat offender if you're coming on my podcast twice. But uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, it's going to be fun to talk some Seahawks with you. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's do it. So, Mike, I think the Seahawks were one of the big surprise teams of the NFL last year. And and I, I've 
asked a handful of my co-hosts here about like a vibe check. The vibes in Seattle were just completely different with Geno Smith at quarterback than they were with Russell Wilson. At least that's how I feel. How do you feel about that? And do you think those good vibes will will, will carry into 2023 with Geno now under a new contract? Yeah, I I do think uh, the vibes were a lot different. And some of that just started. It starts at the top with the vibes in most buildings, um, to be honest, the good ones or the bad ones. Uh, And they obviously wanted to get rid of Russell Wilson. That's why they they traded him. Um, they they were done with the offseason rumors and the contentious uh, debates about how the offense should look and, and dealing with the, him flirting with like playing baseball, you know, whenever it was contract time. And I just kind of wore on the people at the top. And when that was kind of lifted from their shoulders, like, all right, cool. New, whole new energy now. And that energy then translated down to the coaching staff. Um, some of uh, who were new uh, last year, new defensive coordinator, new DB coach, um, new assistant D coordinator, kind of, in Sean Desai, who's now with the Eagles. They just had a lot of new, um, and it just trickled down. And a lot of guys believed in Geno already. Um, I liked his first sentence of his Players' Tribune article. Uh, He says, people think, like, I just showed up last year. Like, yeah, last year was, like, his fourth season in Seattle. That's a big deal. It's, It's very hard to come into a new situation and just command everything whether you're a rookie or a veteran, um, whether you're like Anthony Richardson doing it now or Aaron Rodgers doing it now, it's just hard. Gino wasn't doing that. Like, man, I've been here. I got the same locker. I got a parking space. You know, I already got a place here. I know the cooks. I know the security guy. And it's little stuff, but all that does matter when you're asking you to lead the show. So I do think that that helped the transition a lot, that it wasn't, not to shade him, but it wasn't Drew Locke. Drew Locke would have been coming here from Denver in year four as well, I believe. Um, or just year four in his whole career, not year four with the Seahawks. So year four, um, that's just been harder to do, you know. And he's not as good as Gino, but yeah, I do think that that Gino and his familiarity was a big part of why the vibes are so different and why everything just kind of went smoothly transitioning from rest to him. What what was it about Gino's game that that maybe made this offense a little bit more consistent than it was in maybe Russ's last couple of years? I think being on the same page about how they wanted to attack teams um, offensively was huge. It's we're on the same page in those last few years. I mean, you could see it on the field for sure, particularly in 2020, uh, which is why when Brian Schottenheimer got fired, it's the OC at the time, the press release said he got fired due to philosophical differences. And I was like, that's huge. That's usually never the case. Usually they just kick to the curb, you know, and then that's it. We don't really care why. Or they explain it later in a press conference. They're like, nah, we just don't see eye to eye on how we should do things from a philosophical standpoint. That's pretty deep. Um, but if anyone who watched the game and watched the film, you could see it. The same thing existed in 2021. The philosophical differences just shifted between Schottenheimer and whoever else to Russ and whoever else. Right? So I think that in 2022 it was kind of clear, like, this is what, this is what we're going to be, for better or worse. And that shifted a little bit after week two when Pete was like, oh, Gino's good. Let's yeah. throw it. Um, but by and large, they were all on the same page about how they were going to attack teams. It didn't always work. They stunk at running the ball for like a five-week stretch, like November, December. But they knew what they wanted to be, which was which is important. I, I think that that mattered. The other thing was Gino is um, – Gino is – he just wants to smoke, you know what I mean? When it comes to like concepts, he he's reading every not everything high to low, but it's like if there's a chance to take a shot, he's gonna take it. If he's gonna if he can fit a ball somewhere, he's gonna take it. He's not a dink and dunk all star, you know. He was to start the, those first two weeks that I mentioned. I think he was last in the league in air yards per attempt. 
And then from week three on, he was like a top 10 guy, I believe, um, and that or just way better. He wasn't last. Let's put it that way. So like, he just started airing it out while leading the league in completion percentage, too. So not only was Gino like a big game hunter, he was also very accurate, uh, which is that's a pretty lethal combination when you think about it, which is why he was so impressive last year. So I think that is part of it, because this is not a dink and dunk scheme that Shane Waldron, the, o- the new OC run like he wants you to take those shots and he wants you to take those shots to everybody, not just DK. He wants you to try him to Noah and Kobe Parkinson and Tyler and Marquise Goodwin and whoever. And um, at, I feel like that was a big part of why the offense was so good. And the accuracy, man, go watch some of these. Every, and now we're in the NFL offseason where the NFL account just tweets random highlights every once in a while. Just look at the ones that are Geno. And those are some tough throws that he makes. And those are some seriously like, oh, shit, this is, this is the actual pro day throw in a game that he was making like he was that I think that was another part of it as well so you know Gino's a Gino's a pocket passer he's a processor and the Seahawks kind of leaned into that I mean their first round pick was Jackson Smith and Jigba um this has been a team that since DK arrived it's been DK it's been Tyler and it's just been random smatterings of number three receivers who are contributing but you make an investment in Jackson Smith and Jigba the Seahawks do there's a there's an expectation that he's going to come in and play right away. You mentioned reading high to low. You know, DK can get deep. Tyler can get deep. Smith and Jigba, probably more of a slot type of guy. But how do you expect him to fit into this offense from day one, and which I expect to be a pretty significant role? Yeah, I think that I'm struggling with how to quantify the type of impact he will have. I've kind of come to terms with that it won't be – high volume just because you just look at the target shares DK and Tyler are getting and how efficient the offenses have been. I just see no reason to deviate from that where I think Jackson can help the team is help them be efficient in some situational football. Seattle, whether with Russ or Gino has been a pretty anywhere from a mediocre to just bad third down team, particularly on third and we're going to throw downs, you know, basically third and four or longer. It's been not very good um, for a myriad of reasons, but I do think Jackson can help there. I think last year, like I have a third down cut up of Gino on my computer. You can just see him like he's a sitting duck, just waiting for yards to clear the uh, routes to clear the sticks um, because they're a terrible yards after catch team that also precedes Gino. Um, that might even precede Russ. As well, I think Jackson can help with moving the sticks on third down in part because you don't have to, if it's third and eight, you don't have, he doesn't have to run an eight yard route. He can run a six yard route. He's probably going to get those extra two. He might get more than two. doesn't matter. All he needs two. Um, so I do think that that's a very small thing, but it it will help the overall efficiency numbers, even if Jackson doesn't have a lot of volume. Like he could have a few games where he has three catches for 33 yards, but that might be three first down catches. You know, maybe even if he doesn't score, like, all right, well, now you're 100% of the time when you touch the ball, we move the sticks. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And whether you're uh, Tyree Kill or you're Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I do think he'll help in that area. Um, that would help them also in the red zone. Not a very efficient red zone team last year. Gino forced a lot of balls to DK in the red zone. Now, I would too if I was Gino, you know, to, to be fair. It just wasn't a very efficient um, throw. Uh, I forget what the number is, but it wasn't It wasn't great. So I think Jackson helps them there. Um, in terms of volume, I, I'm just spitballing on this. David Moore's 2020 season playing with DK and Tyler is like an interesting baseline. I think it's like 35 catches. 400 and some odd yards and about six touchdowns. Um, those numbers don't jump out much. You play with DK and Tyler, right? They think right. David that year got 47 targets, um, which for a number three receiver, like 
you really can't expect that many more uh, realistically, I don't think, unless you're, you know, in greatest show on turf offense or something or that 2007 Patriots. So I think that um, that's a decent baseline. Like if Jackson hits those numbers, they could be great, particularly that touchdown number. I believe off the top of my head, I looked it up the other day. I think David was either number two or number three in touchdowns per target that year. I think it was like him and Adam Thielen. Um, So it's like 47 targets and six touchdowns. That's pretty impressive, man. Anyone who's ever had Keenan Allen in fantasy knows how tough it is for him to get the six touchdowns in a whole season with all the targets that he gets. DJ Moore too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like Julio Jones. um, Yeah, exactly. Like it's hard to score touchdowns and David was Mm -hmm. doing it. Um, So I think that that would be a nice kind of baseline for Jackson. Maybe, maybe more catches because David was a big play guy, but even if Jackson hits 35 catches, 400-ish yards, six touchdowns, 17-game season. Like I think that's fine for a rookie because you got to imagine there's 200-plus targets going to you know two other, two other guys in DK and Tyler, not to mention the tight end group. You did nail the 47 targets right off the top of your head, by the way, and that's exactly what he had in that season. Nice. Um, so I look at Kenneth Walker, who, who um, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the, the elephant in the room here, but when I looked at Kenneth Walker and I watched him last year, the thing that struck me was he wasn't your traditional Pete Carroll Seahawks running back. I think when he came out, Greg Cosell called him a jazz musician. He was an improviser. He was always looking for he was he was going to search around for the right note. Um, he was a big play kind of guy. Do you think that's a fair assessment based on what you watched uh, from Kenneth Walker in 2022 as a rookie? Yeah, I think that first game again. It's like when you watch Ken. Like, that's the first thing that jumps out, whether it's college or the pros, right? You look at uh, his – I forget where his first game that I watched him in college. I think it was Rutgers. He took, like, a huge run to the house. Um, and then you watch the Michigan game. That was the first game I watched him, like, live. I was like, oh, my God, this dude yeah. is, is serious. Like, like, five or six touchdowns in that game. But it wasn't just, like – he wasn't goal line hunting like Jamal Williams was last year for the Lions. So, I think he had, like, 17 touchdowns, but none right. over, like, nine yards or something. No, no, no. Ken is explosive. Uh, Ken's first like extended action last year was week five at New Orleans after Rashad Penny broke his leg. And Ken took like a 60-yard touchdown to the house almost immediately because he can do stuff like that. He's just a really, really, really explosive guy. And I, that's why they felt – that's one of the reasons they felt comfortable taking him so high. He was the 41st pick because we feel like on first and 10 from the 30, there's a chance we might score on like outside zone. But – it's unlikely we score, but he gives us a chance. And that's just something their previous running backs outside of Rashad Penny, who for sure gave them that. Everyone else kind of did not. You know, they flirted with Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, Chris Carsons, uh, all this, this, even Marshawn Lynch really wasn't, you know, taking a 75 yards to the house. So, like you said, that's not really a normal Pete Carroll guy. It's not like he hasn't had big play guys in the past. He's had them every once in a while. You know, CJ Procise um, from Notre Dame out of the 2016 mm-hmm. class was pretty explosive. They had JD McKissick on the roster for a few years, also pretty explosive kind of scat back guy, but Ken is just so he's powerful. So he gets the hard yards and he can just run by your safeties, your linebackers and your corners. He's a really unique guy in that way. The problem is like, uh, like you said from Greg, he will search for that big play. And then that can lead to a negative play. Like I think it was Ken and every running back, not named Brees Hall for the jets that were at the highest level of, percentage of their runs that went for negative yards or nothing at all that's not that's not everywhere you want to be like you want to be with Brees hall in categories last year not every other jets running back that's bad yeah. so that i think that's why they then took zach charbonnet to kind of fix that because he he's not the jazz guy he's like 
This is a in, this is power. I'm gonna run power. Yeah. We're gonna get four yards, and it's fine because we didn't lose any yards. And we also didn't score, but we did what the run run was designed to do. So uh, your colleague Corbin Smith from SI, he he tweeted out um, at this point it was it was yesterday, uh, but if you're listening to this, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, he tweeted out that he doesn't think Zach Charbonnet is going to take a significant chunk of Ken Walker's touches he Ken Walker was at around 17 a game last year um and he thinks he's going to be at that kind of that same number do you see it the same way um or is it going to be kind of a game game thing in your opinion yeah I, I agree with with Corbin's kind of overall assessment there I I've I've written that as well that I just don't think that Zach's going to get the volume to be the type of guy that he needs to be and the more I've talked to running backs about why that can happen is that they're by and large, unless you're the third down guy, and even then that you're more pass blocking and catching, uh, running backs are not relief pitchers, you know, or at least they're not they're not guys, they're not shortening relief pitchers, right? They're not coming in, it's like I'm gonna just throw a hundred real fast. Like I warmed up for a couple minutes, here's some gas. No, 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 no. They need some time. That's usually that's what I've been to whenever I talk to running backs about it. A few exceptions here and there, but for the most part, it's like now nah, I need some carries to figure out how they're playing things, how the blocks are coming together. Yada, yada, yada. And that's a game to game thing. So, I mean, Rashad Penny was a great example of that. Like anytime he got like four or five carries when he was backing up Chris Carson, he didn't do that with those carries. Yeah. Look, look at the games where he was played with Chris Carson and he got like double digit carries. All right. Now, then he was taking stuff to the house. There's a little bit of chicken and egg thing. Like, did he get those carries because he was already playing well? Yada, yada, yada. But if you go look at those games like he it, it was later in the game when he got a rhythm that he started to cook. So. I think that that I don't know Zach as well from what I've seen at UCLA. Like he was used to getting all the carries uh, there and all the catches too. He just caught a bazillion swing passes at UCLA as well. So I think that's going to be an issue for Zach early on. Like not him personally, just if you're like trying to take him in fantasy thinking, all right, they're going to one, two punch Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, this, I don't really think that'll be the the case. Uh, I think Ken is so good that he's going to demand touches, you know, and that's, he's earned that. And I think that while he's healthy, it's going to be tough for Zach to get 10 or 11 carries in a game, um, at least in a game where they're not blowing the other team out. You know, blowouts are different, but I'm talking about a normal game script. I could see, yeah, Ken, Ken being anywhere from that 14 to 17 carry number, not to mention plays where they, he's in and they throw the ball. Um, and then, you know, Zach kind of have him deal with what's left, maybe some short yardage stuff, vulture some goal line carries perhaps. So I think – that's what I envision for Zach when he and Ken are both healthy. Now, obviously, the other part of why they took Zach is running backs don't always stay healthy. You know, right. fingers crossed for Ken. But I think if healthy, it's going to be tough for Zach to really eat the way he has the potential to. Obviously, you would know that the Charbonnet pick on, on in second round blew up fantasy because Ken Walker was probably angling towards being a first or second round pick. Now he's a fourth rounder. Um, but, I, you know, my assessment of it when I sat down, and, and I want you to let me know if this is accurate, I don't think Pete Carroll's a galaxy brain guy. I really don't. I think he'll he'll wear his heart on his sleeve, and I think he and John Schneider saw that game. I believe it was against the Rams last year, where DJ Dallas essentially had to play the entire second half on a severe ankle sprain, and they just ran out of running backs. And I think Pete Carroll probably said, that's never going to happen to me again. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, he's had that happen a few times. Where and yeah, credit to DJ, man. DJ could not walk in the locker room. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, couldn't walk. He's just he's limping around. It looks like he got like shot in the foot. Like he was mm-hmm. in so much pain, and he finished that game because they they needed. It. It's like that scene in Friday Night Lights where they uh, the movie, not the show, where they pop the uh, the 
running back shoulder back in and say, all right, man, it's fourth and nine. Back we're, out running there. A, we're running a delay draw. <laughs> it was a weird play call. Anyway, but yeah, that they had that happen in 2019. I want to say as well, Buda Baker broke Chris Carson's hip and CJ process, CJ process arm, I think in the mm-hmm. same game, or I can't remember what year it was, but it was definitely Buda um, that did it. And like, They've had some other games. I mean, they had to call Marshawn off the street uh, in 2019. Yeah. Um, And they started Travis Homer in that game. And I believe in the Eagles game the next week, too. So Pete has had some games where it's like, dog, we cannot have this happen again. And it's not that just run out of bodies. They run out of capable bodies in some of these instances, too. Like, they signed Adrian Peterson off the street in 2021 because the running Mm -hmm. back situation had got so dire. So, yeah, that is the other part of it. It's just we don't. No, I say we, the, the, they do not want uh, a situation where they got to give fullback Nick Bloor some carries um, because they're out of bodies and they've done that too. Uh, I yeah. forget which game they did that. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been pretty rough with keeping guys healthy at that position, not just for the Seahawks, for a lot of teams, but it feels like the Seahawks in a post beast mode era. So about 2016 and beyond has just been very, very, very rough. So, Mike, I've been wrapping up all these podcasts, and you were my 32nd podcast, um, by asking each beat uh, beat writer, analyst, maybe an under-the-radar player on on the, the corresponding team who could be uh, affect the team for fantasy. The Seahawks are a tough team to find one of those guys, but you did come up with one. Who is it for Seattle? Yeah, I, I think it would be Noah Fant. Um, just, I looked at his numbers from last year. I was doing a tight end piece, or I was going to. I didn't put it out yet, but... I was like, man, no, I had that type of year, huh? Um, and then I went and mm-hmm. looked at some of the plays and was like, oh, okay. Like he had a touchdown against the Niners in week 15 when the score was like six to 20, I think at the time in the fourth, like a garbage time touchdown. He had another one that's the next week against the Chiefs, I believe, when the game was out of reach. Um, it's just, he had some catches like that. Cause like that right there, I think that goes, takes him from two touchdowns to four. Um, and they were just largely meaningless plays so i think that he is gino's garbage time guy which for better or worse that's great i mean who knows if that remains true when he has jackson smith and jigba um next year but that's in fantasy it doesn't really matter where you catch him i won a league before off a random jermaine curse touchdown in like week 17 before this is obviously a few years back but you don't care when they catch him you just care if they catch him so i think noah could be that and he had a decent year last year um i don't know all the numbers off the top of my head. I only had four touchdowns, but which I believe ties a single season career high for him. So that's a route where he usually produces at best, at least when he was in Denver. But the Seahawks had, I think all their tight ends had over 300 yards. They're the only team with three um, to do that, which is that show that speaks to how much Geno was spreading the wealth um, around there. Will Disley got hurt late in the year, but I still think everyone would have hit the 300 mark. So, yeah, Noah would be my guy if I had to pick one because you already know what Ken's going to do. Tyler, I know, and he Tyler's aware of how frustrating he can be in fantasy. Um, he's, of course. Like, he, he's not as uh, – like like I think um, I was just joking with somebody about this. The game he had 200 yards, I think against the Cardinals and with – five or six of 2020 you know, the next the next week he had like 20 yards so it's like he's and he's aware he knows how many yeah. yards he has each game so but i still you still know what he's gonna do right tyler's the only player at any position with at least a thousand yards and eight touchdowns in each of the last four seasons so you know what tyler's gonna do you know dk is gonna do we can pretty confidently say what ken is gonna do um so i think the 
maybe surprise guy who's just going to help you out on a bye week or get you through some injuries uh, is probably Noah Fant, who he does catch touchdowns from Geno at the end of the day. His name is Michael Sean Dugar. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. And obviously you get these fantastic insights on the Seahawks man-to-man podcast. Follow him at Mike Dugar on Twitter. Mike, thank you for being the 32nd and final franchise focus podcast for me. My name's Joe Dolan. I need to go take a shower, get something to eat. It has been an absolute grind. I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast series. It's training camp time. It's preseason time. It's 2023 NFL season time. I hope everybody enjoyed the series, and I'll talk to you shortly. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.